There are two readings this morning, and I'll commence with 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 7, on page 1193 of the Bible. 1 Timothy 2, verse 1. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Saviour, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed at the proper time. And for this purpose, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, and a true and faithful teacher to the Gentiles. The second reading is from Romans 13, chapter 1 to 7, and that's on page 1138. Romans 13, verse 1. Let everyone be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from the fear of one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for the rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoers. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honour, then honour. This is the word of the Lord. Can you leave that uh, passage open? Because we're going to refer to it as we go along this morning. Just a word of explanation. We finished our Acts series last week and um, it, it seemed to the staff a good thing that we do a couple of one-offs and so that's what's happening for the next couple of weeks. And um, just flowing out of uh, Acts 12 last week, the question of authority came up with Herod and uh, versing uh, God in the end and so it seemed a good thing to talk about our view of government. So that's where we're landing today. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we just thank you for setting things up the way that is best. Help us to recognise what is best as we read your word. 
We also pray that you'd help us to respond to you the way that you uh, seek us to. We thank you that in doing that, the best will result. Please teach us this, uh, this morning as we look at your word and think about the authorities over whom you've placed us. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, um, can't live without them. Can't live with them. Is that a summary of government? <laughs> Who knows? But all we know perhaps is we wouldn't like to be in Hong Kong at the moment. <laughs> uh, it's hard for us to pass judgment. We're not there. We're not sort of uh, au fait with all the details and the intricacies of what's going on. We just hear what the news presents to us. But we, uh, we wonder about our Christian brothers and sisters in the middle of it all. What are they doing? How have they worked out how to respond the way they have responded? Uh, big question, uh, because uh, there are all sorts of other elements such as danger and, and imprisonment and, and everything of that nature. So we ought to pray, as um, we had a hymn at, right at the end of the eight, 8 o'clock, that prayed for wisdom and courage. And I thought, what a great summary for prayer, wisdom and courage for our brothers and sisters. How would you respond if you're in uh, a government or under a government led by Donald Trump? or by Boris Johnson, both of whom have been in the news an awful lot and to whom there is all sorts of responses. Uh, what about Xi Jinping, a Chinese uh, president? Or what about Scott Morrison? We know that one, we can answer that one all right. Um, what does it mean to be a Christian uh, and to view our government? Um, the Bible writers will tell us, and our experience, I suggest, will confirm to us that our fundamental citizenship and therefore our loyalty has changed when we came to know Jesus. Did you find that? Maybe it took time for that to become clear. Once we might have been content to call ourselves loyal Australian citizens only. But since you and I come to know Christ, we are now called, a little quotes out of the New Testament, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. They are grand, wonderful uh, pictures and realities. We now, we now have a citizenship which is in heaven. We are now aliens and strangers in the world. That's how we're described in the New Testament by Peter and Paul and, and the others who, who write. So having become Christians, we've actually undergone this seismic shift in our worldview, has it been your experience? Some, um, some have, uh, have thought that we therefore need to remove ourselves from the world, but the New Testament doesn't teach that anywhere. Um, if we want to understand the world freshly from God's perspective and to know Jesus' mind, we have to go to the scriptures as, as our authority. So we hear Jesus say these sorts of things, Father, I'm not praying you take them out of the world, but I'm praying that you protect them from the evil one. So he wants us to stay in the world, be part of the world. Uh, it's God's world. It's under God's control. We live in it and we engage with it. Now, that's fundamental, isn't it? Um, we enjoy this world. It, it's, a, it's a wonderful um, blessing to live in Australia, for instance, uh, even though we, we have occasion to complain or we feel we do from time to time. But specifically, how do we engage with state, local and federal governments and civil authorities, any sorts of civil authorities? Because Jesus has made this declaration. All authority has been given to me in heaven 
and on earth. In the light of that, to what extent are we obliged to acknowledge human authority? Where do you get the balance right? And that's why I think perhaps a passage like Romans 13, um, which we're looking at today, will help us. But it will help us in its context. So we need to look at the context, which is really important for this, for this chapter, as with any, any part of the scriptures, because it sits amongst Romans 12 to 15. And when you, look at, when you read Romans 12 to 15, you, you realise that we are being taught there how to honour Jesus in a whole variety of relationships. And this is one of them, our relationship to the state, to the government. Some of the relationships are about church. Some of the relationships are about our society and um, mixtures of those. So that what is taught about all these relationships in chapter 12 to 15 of Romans um, flows out of the very beginning of that little section in chapter 12, which says this, and these are very familiar words, I'm sure. Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good, pleasing and the perfect will of God. That's how he starts that whole chunk on relationships. Um, we, want to be, we want to discern what is good, pleasing and the perfect will of God. So that applies as we talk about Romans 13 today. Okay. So our attitude to human authority is really important because it's our response to the way God has placed us under the Lordship of Christ. We, we can't just respond any old way. We, could, we respond the way we're taught um, while we live under the Lordship of Jesus. We give ourselves fully to God in obedience because we are so grateful that Jesus gave himself fully to his Father in obedience and we see the incredible blessing that flowed out of that obedience. Uh, blessing flows out of our obedience. Not, of course, not, not to our, our obedience doesn't win us our salvation, but it flows out of the fact that we now belong to the Lord Jesus. So if, um, if we want to think here, then the first thing we want to say is this, and this forms like a, a, um, an undergirding of everything we talk about. Verses 1 to 3 the government's authority is legit, and so I need to respond to it. You might say, well, that's pretty simple, Chris. Yes, it is, but we often just leave that aside, don't we? Let's confirm that this morning. The government's authority is legitimate, so I need to respond. So if I'm going to compare human authority and God's authority, we might consider four things. And these should be coming up on, yes, they're coming up on the screen. Excellent. The first thing is this, every human authority is derived from God. It's not naturally human authority, it's derived authority from the one who, who um, set things up the way they are um, in the first place. And we're taught that they are actually his gift to us to enable us to live in stability and peace. Uh, that was in, I think, both those passages this morning. Uh, you note, maybe, um, that Paul says three times in the first two verses, so it must be fairly important. He says, there is no authority except that which God has established. 
So if the authority that they wield is God's authority, that really leaves us with no choice, doesn't it? Or only one choice, really. And that is to recognise that's the case and then submit to that authority as we would submit to Jesus. Just keep in mind what submission means, though. It doesn't mean lay yourself out as a doormat for people to walk over. That's not the concept of submission that the New Testament gives us. Now, submission means to willingly place ourselves under the authority of somebody else out of respect for the role we see God has given them. Is that okay? Whichever way we look at it, the scriptures will keep coming back to this position as our undergirding position. That's the first thing. Peter said, um, submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or the governor as those sent out by him to punish those who do what is evil, reward those who do what is good. But we submit because of the Lord. That's the call from Peter. Remember what Jesus said. Give back to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Give to God the things that are God's. So that's the first thing. The second is this. Every human government is temporary while God's rule is permanent. His rule in Jesus is permanent. Um, who was the government before the current Libs? Well, it's usually Labor or Libs, isn't it? You don't get much other choice. And before that it was Libs, before that was Labor, before that it was Libs. That's just in Australia. Uh, every government that is current will be passed in a few years and a new government will be there. That's the nature of human government. It comes and it goes. But um, God, God's rule in Jesus remains. Ultimately, this government will pass its authority to the next government until God activates the return of Jesus and Christ comes with his forever rule and that's all finalised under him. That'll be a wonderful day. But that's still future. Um, and meanwhile, every government is temporary, and it's good to keep that in mind, particularly when we find Christian brothers and sisters under incredible duress because the government's not a good government or it may be a, a, a tyrannical government of some sort. Thirdly, every human government is limited by human sin, while God's rule in Jesus is perfect. Now, we, we can see that <laughs> fairly quickly. Um, because we, we, we play the game of picking the thing we don't like and we have a go at the government on that and what you don't like, I don't mind. What I don't like, you don't mind. So we're all different. They, they, they cop it all the time. But also we know that um, a lot of their activity flows out of the fact um, that we are sinful. That's not the case in Jesus' rule. And fourthly, every human authority is answerable to God. There is one day when God will stand them up and they'll have to give account for why they governed the way they did. Just like you and I will stand up before God that way. He looks for a high standard of, of obedience and service from them as his representatives. All right. Well, let's just slow down a little bit for a sec. The reality is that what we're talking about is that rescued people will stop rebelling and will listen to what God's word has to say. Paul echoes the other Bible writers in setting obedience to the state as a normal principle. 
That's not a very popular view amongst many people today, but it is the setting and the basis of the biblical view. He knows full well from the way Jesus was treated and from his own experience. Some authorities are going to inevitably misuse their authority and we shouldn't miss the fact that despite the godlessness of the Roman government of Paul's day, their growing opposition to Christians, his very um, regular mistreatment, there there are sections in the New Testament scriptures where he outlines everything that's happened to him and we think, well, how come you're still alive, Paul, if all that's happened to you? Well, he knows all of that. We shouldn't miss the fact that, that he knows that, and yet he still insists that submission and not rebellion is right. And they were fully aware of the Herods, like we saw last week, the Neros of their time. They denied they were answerable to anybody. Any higher authority, they misused what God gave them. And today we could easily make up a long list of governments that restrict freedoms, ignore the poor and the sick, deny the oppressed justice, that milk their position for their own benefit. In Australia, we're currently witnessing the interest and support for long-held Christian principles in government just slipping away gradually. And the Bible doesn't deny our right to protest or to rally actively for change. You see that as you read the scriptures in the Old Testament and the New. We know to do that is more dangerous in some countries than it is in others. But thankfully, freedom of thought and freedom of expression is an inherent right in our country. We thank God that we're part of that. Each citizen has the right to share and promote their concerns and also the responsibility to tolerate and listen to alternate points of view. But where we seek change, it should be done through legal channels. That's a pretty clear teaching. Do you not agree as we listen to what the scriptures have to say? Now, the Bible doesn't give us detailed notes as to what to do when there's an oppressive situation. We're in the middle of something that's really difficult and hard, but it does give us principles. And this is where the wisdom and the courage comes in, you see. We're going, to, we're going to prayerfully um, and, and uh, in, in fellowship with one another through discussion work out how do these principles apply when there are oppressive situations going on. One of those is that rebellion against the properly elected authorities constitutes rebellion against God. Jesus has rescued us from our rebellious life and put us at peace with God. And if we have a a society which is lawless and disobedient, disordered, it becomes a society in which very few people gain or benefit. The consequences, Paul says in Romans 13, the consequences of rebellion is the judgment of God working through his humanly appointed authorities. His point is, generally, if we do right, the authorities will commend us. Feeling frustrated or being angry or scared of uh, what's happening or applying our Christian, uh, sorry, our Australian, not Christian, our Australian cynical um, cultural cynicism towards authority. That doesn't justify rebellion, does it? It might happen, but it's not justified on the basis of what we're taught here. 
But we can take that further because we know from examples in both Old and New Testament there are some situations in which it was right to do more than just protest. Many have protested over recent bills. That's been good, that's been helpful. People have learnt good things and the bills have been a little bit improved as a result. But there are times when we are given the right to disobey government. That's not the fundamental principle, it's the exception to the rule, but there are times when that's the case. If the state commends, um, commands from us what Christ forbids, or the state forbids what Christ commands from us, then the balance of the response goes like this. The Christian is to submit right up to the point where obedience to the state would then entail disobedience to God. That seems to be the principle that the New Testament lays down for us. Jesus gives us the balance. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. But as we saw in Acts 5, remember with Peter and John, happened at least twice, where the authority says, stop preaching the gospel, we won't have any more of that. Remember what they said? We must obey God rather than men. Now there may be situations which we're moving into where that will be a principle we have to look really carefully at. We pray that that's not the case, but it may well be. Where the Christian is forced to make a choice, there's no question but that we should obey God first. Remember the Israelite midwives in Egypt when Pharaoh said, I want you to put all the, the um, Israelite boys to death when they're born, keep the girls, but kill the boys. They wouldn't do it. When King Darius said, everybody must worship me for the next 30 days to show that you are, you know, to show your um, a loyalty to me. Daniel wouldn't do it. Remember how he opened the, opened the, the, the windows and he, and he stood on the window, or sat on the windowsill basically and, and prayed to his God and everyone saw him and of course he got into trouble, but he wouldn't do it. And as we saw in Acts, Peter and John and the other apostles refused to stop preaching the gospel when the Jewish authorities ordered them to. It's not a knee-jerk reaction. They obviously took time to think through what would be their response if this happened. If I'm going to honour and obey Jesus in that choice, then we can only come to that decision through carefully searching the scriptures and prayerfully bringing our thinking to God for his guidance and discussing our alternatives with Christian friends. But in those situations, the scriptures allow us to respond that way. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever thought of the state, the government, as a, as a servant, as your servant? I'm not sure if that's a natural way of thinking about government. But did you notice in verse, twice in verse 4 and once in verse 6, that's exactly how Paul describes the government. And he uses exactly the same word for ministry as he does for what you do in church. And he sees their role as an allowing role. In other words, if, if they do their governing well, it will free the rest of God's people to do their service well, their ministry, their sharing of the gospel, their supporting and encouraging one another. It's an enabling role when they do it properly. 
police and magistrates and legislators in the role they play, they're as much ministers of God as those who serve the church. Leon Morris was a great Australian commentator. He died a couple of years ago, but he said this, they enable God's other servants to get on with the job of doing God's will. And when things are working well, that's how it, that's how it works. We know the Roman government of Paul's day built excellent roads and you, you've probably walked on some of them over in Europe and in England. They generally exercise good government, fair, reasonably fair government. They maintain peace and order. And God's intention through them is both positive on the one hand and then negative on the other. Positive to promote and reward the good, enable people to get on with their lives and a benefit from their rule. That's positive. Negatively, when people refuse that, to restrain and punish the evil. And I think the negative half is an application back in chapter 12, verse 19, where Paul writes, Do not take revenge, my friends. Leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay. God has certainly set a day on which he will judge the world because we know he's raised Jesus up as the one who will do that and he's ready for that. He's just uh, God has to circle his calendar and say, Jesus, tomorrow's the day or today's the day, let's go. But until then, he exercises his judgments every day through those he has given authority. So God is judging all the time through his human authorities. And as disciples of Jesus, we had to couple the knowledge that God judges ungodly behaviour with our desire to honour Jesus by the way we respond. So a biblically informed and trained conscience will act as a check to a wrong response and make us rethink our intentions. That's why the scripture is so important to know in this area. So our submission to human authority is encouraged both by the reality that God's anger can be activated through the authorities, as he says there, if we do wrong, and also by the guidance of our conscience as we get to know what the scriptures have to say. All right, well, how should we respond then to government? Well, Paul gives us three responses. We'll close on these. The first thing is they deserve our financial support. We ought to pay our taxes. Rather than the Australian task of uh, a job of um, working out how can we pay no tax by, by just, you know, doing what we might do, we pay our fair tax. We pay our fair tax. That enables them to do their work properly. That enables them to support and look after the person who uh, needs extra help that we can't financially help. The government hasn't got any money of its own, has it? It's got our money. And as we give money to the government in tax, we, we, know, we expect that they will pay that to look after those who can't look after themselves, who don't have the wherewithal to do that, to put down roads that will enable us to get about our business easily, to, uh, to support uh, those who are teaching our children, and all, those, all the things you know what I'm talking about. We, we, they deserve our financial support. They don't deserve for us to try and put our tax down to the smallest possible amount unfair amount, let me say, so that we don't contribute in that way. But secondly, they deserve our respect, our honour. 
And it's not because authorities are important inherently or wealthy or powerful. It's because they're God's ministers. They're God's ministers. That gives them a dignity in their role that we should acknowledge. And thirdly, they deserve our prayer. We've already had a short Bible reading on that one, haven't we? From, one Tim- from Timothy 2, 1 Timothy 2, where Paul urges us to pray for kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. One of the things we've noted here at St Stephen's is you do that. You do that really well. You do that regularly. Do keep doing that. God will honour those prayers. Well, that's such a, really, when you look at it, that's such a positive view of government. Does it surprise you that the New Testament is so positive about human government? Has that, um, in the balance of your view, has that sort of done a bit of a shift for you towards positive? Um, Have you been viewing the role of government and responding to it from maybe the wrong perspective? Do you allow that Australian cynicism to come to the fore and eat away at your support and respect for them? It's easy for us as Australians, we, we, we have liked in the past at least to, to belt the person in authority. Sometimes we feel that their priorities are just to hold on to power. We acknowledge that. Sometimes we, we aren't convinced that they're representing all the elements in our community. Uh, sometimes we get frustrated and, and scared sometimes with their policies as they develop and we see where they're headed. But the Christian's normal response is to get behind them and support them. For ideally in the present, that's the way God restrains evil, promotes good, enables peace and order, and therefore a a stable context in which we can maximise the opportunities he gives us to serve him ourselves and get the gospel out to where it needs to be. Can I say, this view of government is distinctly Christian. It's not necessarily shared by too many other people in our community. We will need to be very sharp and committed to understanding our our government's role in the coming years, whereby I think it's going to become more and more of an issue in the future. Can I encourage you, therefore, on the basis of uh, this, this, I was going to say short talk, I'm not sure how long it went for, (laughs) over a couple of this morning, put off the talk about the rain and talk about what you found from those two little passages this morning to stir you and what, what you would like to discuss with the person that you're talking to over your cuppa. Will you do that? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray, we, we thank you firstly for all that you've provided for us so that we may live peaceful and quiet lives and, and able to minister to, to, um, in the way that you have uh, called us to do so. Please help us to understand more and more clearly um, our view of government and why you have set it up so. And as we do so, Lord, we pray that we may, um, may, may obey your will and see it being worked out well for Jesus' sake. Amen.